This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, I have a very special presentation for you this week on mystery and murder analysis by Dr. Phil. You know, I always do a series, but I'm doing a one special presentation right now because we're coming into the holidays and I just so happen to have the number one hacker in the world. And this is a time that it is really important because we're heading into the holidays and you're going to be exposed because so many people are doing online shopping. You're going to be putting that credit card out there when you're buying things online. You're going to be laying it down when you go to stores and people are going to be holding it in their hand. They're going to be seeing your driver's license. They're going to be seeing your credit card and you're getting ready to find out how to protect yourself. I know you probably think, all right, I've got insurance on this and my bank protects me where I'm not liable. But you know what? If you get your identity stolen, it can be a year getting that unraveled if then. So I'm going to tell you how to protect yourself by presenting to you Kevin Mitnick. So we're going to be talking about how to keep you safe going into the holidays so you don't spend your time trying to unravel a terrible ball of yarn. Here we go. The first page of a book never tells the full story. And those news alerts and headlines, like the ones we get on our phones, don't even scratch the surface of what the story is really all about. Stories are like people, multi-layered and complex. It takes some digging to find the truth, but when we find it, it can change our world. We like to dig. The news on Merritt Street. Essential television. Tell everybody listening what you now do because you have carved out and actually defined an entire cottage industry. <laughs> you sit at the top of what's become an entire industry of cybersecurity. Yeah, I wear several hats. I, um, I'm a public speaker, so I go around the world educating audiences and businesses on how to protect themselves against the threats out there. And I really enjoy doing that because it's kind of showing how the threats actually work and then educating the people inside how to, what to do to make sure it doesn't happen to them. I run another company called Mitnick Security, and what we do is we do ethical hacking. So companies hire us to actually break in like the bad guys. Right. So we could break in physically, uh, electronically. We could use a technique called social engineering, which is uh, you've heard of phishing before. Right. And these sort of types of what we call tradecraft. And then the chief hacking officer, a great title, of a company called No Before, and we're based near Tampa, Florida. We have about over 800 employees now, and we're in several countries. And what we do is we do new age security awareness training. So we educate businesses. Usually a lot of videos are me demonstrating the threats and how companies need to protect themselves. And we have a simulated phishing platform, so our clients could actually fish their own users 
phishing is what I mean is by sending a malicious email with a link or an attachment that when somebody falls for this, it ends up compromising the computer and the threat actor gets control of it. So we allow our clients to fish themselves so it inoculates them. And in this whole process, they become less susceptible to these types of attacks because the number one way in today from nation states, criminal hackers, hacktivists, is usually through an email, usually through a fish. Usually it only takes one. We could talk a lot about just what you've said so far. I do want to talk about that a little bit before we move on because I don't want to make this a nerd conference <laughs> where only people that have a big background in all of this know what it means because just from things that I've read that you've written and done, I've learned what some of these things mean, and I'm stunned that I'm just now learning what some of these things mean. Seriously. Yep. But Betty in Idaho that's listening to this that doesn't know where the vulnerabilities are, I want to talk about some of those things. Like you threw out the word phishing. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to find that. But so people know you're the chief hacking officer now, but you've been <laughs> a hacker since you were in your teens, right? Yeah, and actually how I got started um, is from my love of magic. When I was a young boy, I used to ride my bicycle over to a magic shop in uh, the valley, part of Los Angeles, and watch these magicians inside the shop perform their tricks over and over. And I stayed there because I wanted to know the secret. So when I went into high school, I met this kid who could do magic with a telephone system. So I'm 16, 1978, and he can get my mom's unlisted number. He could make my phone ring. He could, if my, there's no number on my phone, he can call a number and a, and a computer reads it back. You know, this is before computers were mainstream. Right. And I was just going, wow, this is so cool. And I was a prankster as well. And I wanted to learn all about the phone system so I could pull pranks on friends. And one of my favorite pranks was to change my friend's home phone to a pay phone. So whenever his parents <laughs> tried to make a call, it would say, please deposit 25 cents, right? So I just love doing this stuff. And this is how I got involved with hacking is really my love of pranksterism and taking control of the phone company. And uh, this is what led me on this path back in the 70s before there were any laws against computer hacking. You know, this is what led me on this path and became quite addictive, like a computer game, right? if you will. And I ended up getting myself into a lot of hot water. You know, I went over what I'm doing today, kind of making a lemonade out of lemons and helping the community, helping government, helping educational institutions protect themselves against the threats out there. I don't think we need to go into a lot of detail about that other than to say, at one point you were on the FBI's most wanted list because you were scaring the bejeebers out of people by what you could access and get into, whether it be a financial corporation or records or whatever. Well, even better than that. So I was in federal court in, in downtown Los Angeles here for what they call a bail hearing when I when the feds you know caught up with me. And uh, I remember the prosecutor telling the judge, not only do we have to hold Mr. Mitnick without bail, we have to make sure he can't get access to the telephone because he's such a grave danger to national security. So I'm sitting there in court going like, what's this guy going to say? And then the, the judge, Judge Mariana Felser goes, what do you mean? And the prosecutor went on to say, well, if you give Mr. Mitnick access to a telephone in prison, he could call up NORAD, whistle into the phone, communicate with the modem and launch a nuclear weapon. Well, I started laughing because I never heard of something so stupid in my life. 
And my attorney got upset, of course, that I was laughing in federal court. And the judge actually put a court order that I was to be held uh, pretty much in solitary confinement for about a year. I was held there in a year right. because of this uh, myth that I could whistle the launch code. So the fear factor that you're mentioning, oh, absolutely existed in my case because the public didn't really know about computers back then, back in the mid-1970s. There was no internet. You were in prison for five years and one was in solitary confinement. How did you convince them that you couldn't whistle up a missile? <laughs> well, the funny thing is, is I never... I, it never went back to that. It was kind of how it works in the criminal justice system in America is prosecutors could use the fact that they could put somebody under very unpleasant conditions of confinement. And it's a it's a bargaining chip the prosecutor has to gain cooperation or to have you plead guilty to certain types of offenses. So in my particular case, it became a bargaining chip that was used later. So if you plead guilty or you cooperate with us, we'll let you out of solitary confinement. Well, if I could really whistle the launch codes, they wouldn't be letting me out, yeah. right? So, so that's how it really worked. Okay, so just to be clear, you cannot whistle a missile. Well, I cannot confirm or deny. No, no, no I can't. <laughs> Um, I think, <laughs> I, yeah, that's something kind of out of a movie like War Games in 1983. Yeah. It just is not yeah. possible. Yeah. I'm sure you've been more than once compared to Catch Me If You Can yeah, in the movie. Abigail. Yeah, because when you ultimately got through with all of the incarceration, the U.S. government contacted you to see how they could better protect themselves. Yeah. Uh, Joseph Lieberman and Fred Thompson uh, uh, invited me to testify at Congress on how the government could better protect their, you know, our computer systems in our country. So imagine I'm in custody for five years. I was released in January of 2000. And in March, I'm flying to Washington, D.C. to help our government. <laughs> so it was kind of a surreal That's feeling. That's a snap turn. Yeah, a very snap <laughs> turn. You know, he's out. Let's get his help. Yeah. And so, of course, I went and, you know, offered what advice, you know, I could possibly give Congress and, uh, you know, I, I don't think it really helped because they don't they didn't really do anything. There was no action item. So here's advice, advice, advice. But if you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So if they don't do any action items, nothing ever changes. When did you get out and go to Congress? Uh, 2000. Okay, in 2000. Of course, there was completely different computer environment than we have now. All modesty aside, was there anything in 2000 that you could not have hacked? No, I was pretty successful. At, uh, at compromising systems. Um, in 2000, I wasn't allowed to use a computer for three years. Actually, there were the government had these onerous conditions of supervised release. I couldn't even use a cell phone, you know, lest I launch a nuclear weapon. Um, do I believe I could have hacked anything? Pretty much. Yeah. And the funny thing that a lot of people won't realize is you don't have to be a technical wizard to hack into a system I perfected a technique which is called social engineering. And I learned this when I was involved in this phone freaking. What I mentioned, you could send an email and convince them that I'm somebody I'm not and have a good pretext, a good story that makes sense and where they'll agree to cooperate. They'll agree to type something in their computer, install some software, put in their username and password, you know, and do an action that allows me to gain control of their computer. And in fact, today, when I'm hired to do this testing of large companies, Fortune 50, Fortune 100, 
they want our team, we have a thing called, they call a red team, to actually test their employees to see if they fall for these attacks. Mm-hmm. Because again, it's the number one way in. So back in 2000, when you say, well, could have you hacked anything? Pretty much simple technique, social engineering. So what you're saying, and these are what the scams are today, where people are getting bombarded with these IRS scams and other things where somebody's sending them something saying, you better respond and pay us this money. One of the most significant scams today, I would say, is what we call business email compromise. What does that actually mean? That's where a fraudster goes out onto the internet, looks at uh, social networks involving businesses. You know, that one is called LinkedIn. And they analyze the company, who works at the company, who has the power or the rights inside the business to do a bank wire. And then what they do is they develop a fraudulent email, what we call a phishing attack, and they'll send the CFO or his or her delegate an email, and it will look like it's coming from like the CEO or somebody you know that's on the C-suite saying, oh, please wire X dollars to this account for this vendor, but it's all fraud. And unfortunately, there are tons of businesses or people that work in these businesses that are falling for the scam and billions of dollars a year are lost because people are fooled into wiring the money. My son has a number of companies that he runs. Some are kind of Silicon Valley type companies. Others are manufacturing. The other day, I believe it was the CFO of the company or certainly someone in that division got an email that appeared to come from him. It had his address. It had everything. Okay. And it said, I'm in a meeting right now, so I can't be bothered but I need you to wire $50,000 to this account. Don't waste time. Do it. And don't bother me. I'm in a meeting, but I need this done right away. That's exactly what I was talking about, business email compromise. This is the new age of fraud. This person was like, yeah, right. I mean, they thought, no, I'm not sending sending $50,000 to anybody without talking to him. But she said, I was this close to doing it because yeah. it looks so legitimate like it was from him. And I'm not in the business of not doing what I'm told, so I was going to do it. People do fall for that, right? All the time because it looks very real. It's in the normal course of business. It's coming from somebody who's an authority, right? And uh, and it's not at the tune of 50000 It's at the tune of millions. Yeah. And But people actually move millions of millions dollars. Millions of dollars to a bank wire. And once you wire do a bank wire, it's extremely difficult to reverse that transaction, you know, once it's out on the Fed. So this is a very common technique of fraud being used today against numerous businesses. So we try to educate business owners and people that work in these companies so they don't fall for this scam. All right. So you call that social engineering? That's the technique. That's the name we call it, like in the computer security world. Yeah. Um, Social engineering is really using pretexting or con artistry with the objective of breaking into a computer. So social engineering, do you really call social engineering like where you're trying to get someone to do a fraudulent bank wire? It really doesn't fit perfectly, but that's, you know, semantics. Yeah. Last week I got an email and I wish I'd saved it. I might could find it if I took the time, but I I won't because I remember exactly what it said. But it was addressed to me personally. And it said, you've been hacked, and to prove this... We have your password. Here's your phone number. Oh, okay. And so you know 
this is not a bluff. We know that you're a member of this club, mm-hmm. and this tournament is coming up in a week, and the person that won it last year is so-and-so. So that's how you know we're really into your stuff. And we're going to publish all of your emails if you don't send us $500 within a week. Common scam. The truth of the matter is the bad guy or the criminal probably has very little information that they weren't able to find through social media research, looking at your LinkedIn, at your Facebook, at your Instagram. So what they try to do is take details about your life that are real and articulate an email of a threat that they can't really carry out because they really never had the access, Mm -hmm. but getting you to believe it. And one primary example is there was a recent sextortion scam. So basically, the threat actors or the bad guys would go to data breaches, pull people's passwords, and then send them an email saying, we have your password, we've been watching you, and we've been... uh, uh, recording you going to very inappropriate sites. And unless you send us, you know, $5,000, we're going to send these videos to all your Facebook friends. And by the way, if you don't do this in the next 24 hours, the price doubles. And because somebody's old password that was publicized in a data breach that anybody has access to, because that clicks with a person, they believe rest of the rest of the story. So the scammer has some good facts, right, uh, to convince you, to persuade you, to hook you in, and then they try to gain compliance, but they really are scamming you. That's not really true. Yeah. Now, most people know more than I do. You're talking about data breaches, and you and I have talked about this a little bit earlier, but how does somebody, let's take our lay listeners through, what is a data breach and how does somebody get a password? Yeah, simple. So a lot of companies, unfortunately, have been hacked and their databases, which are proprietary, have been leaked publicly. And in those databases, for example, are uh, their customers' usernames and passwords. Sometimes they uh, scramble the password to make it more difficult if the, uh, to make it more difficult to identify. But a lot of these databases have plain text passwords. And from these data breaches, a lot of this information is aggregated. And you can buy access to websites online. One of the most, uh, one I like, and it's completely legitimate. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a service for security testers um, and for people like you and I that want to look to see if we're in there. It's called weleakinfo.com. Uh, it will cost a little bit of money to do it. It's pretty relatively cheap. And what you could do is put your email address and see if your email address ever showed up in a ton of data breaches, which is very highly likely, and the passwords you use, like for LinkedIn was hacked, Adobe was hacked. So any of those passwords that you use in LinkedIn or use in Adobe are publicly available. And unfortunately, people have the tendency to use the same password at a bunch of different sites. Mm -hmm. Or they might change it up with a number at the end. I I mean, usually you could identify a person's pattern. And from these data breaches, they either create phishing attacks like we just discussed. Hey, I know your password. We've been watching you through your webcam. We're going to publish all these videos to Facebook unless you pay us five grand. Or 
um, they actually use those usernames and passwords to try to hack your email. Mm-hmm. Or in today's show, uh, you know, we talked about hacking a, a web a cloud camera, and it's because all this data is available. People do not know how to properly manage their username and password. They should not be thinking of it themselves. I know that's the tendency. Pick a password. What people should use is a tool called a password manager. And a lot of them are free. And what happens is the password manager actually creates a random, you know, gibberish password that's set on your computer. You don't have to remember it. And every time you log, go to log into the website, for example, it will autofill that password for you. The only thing you have to remember is what they call a master password. What's a master password? That unlocks all your passwords for the password manager. And that you actually have to think of yourself. So what I recommend people to do is you never use a password. You use a sentence. I was in LA today and went to the beach with the spaces and the, the right uppercase I and all that sort of thing. And that's your master password. Don't use that, by the way. Yeah. Right? But use using a password just like that to unlock all your passwords and let the password manager do the heavy work. And that way, you'll never end up in a data breach. Well, you could end up in a data breach, but that password that a bad guy can get access to won't work anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the solve. Well, there's another solve we could talk about, but that's one of the biggest problems here is the issue of passwords that people don't know that their usernames and passwords that they used at legitimate companies, big companies have unfortunately been leaked to the world and now the bad guys have access to it. Okay. So if somebody out there has a Netflix account or whatever, and they go to Password Manager and they set up there, do they have to contact all of these places and change their passwords? Initially. or So if you already have a password set, you'd have to actually have your Password Manager change it for you, which you know is pretty much automated these days. Or if you're setting up a new account, you basically just tell your Password Manager to generate a password. So there's a little bit of work behind resetting the passwords of your existing account. But what people, another area where people don't realize in a way they could be hacked is a thing called password reset questions. So their password might be very strong, but to reset the password uh, might be, where did you go to high school? Mm -hmm. Who was your first boyfriend or girlfriend? What kind of car did you drive? Things that are involved in that person's personal life usually personal relationships, you know, things that they have, schools that they've went to. And usually this information could be identified in social networks like Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram. People, well, they knowingly do it, but they don't think about it, put out a ton of information about themselves out there that potentially could be used later against them, like to do a password reset. Right now, I've got two laptops in front of me and you've got a computer in front of you. Both of these of mine, and I'm sure yours, has a camera. Yes. How vulnerable or how likely is it that somebody will access one of these cameras? I know it would be easy. I know you can do it in 20 seconds (laughs) because I saw you do it today. But how likely is that to happen that somebody's going to get to a camera and start watching what I'm doing at home? Should I cover these cameras up? That's the easiest thing I was going to say. That's what Mark Zuckerberg does with Facebook. He just puts tape over it, and that's the easy solve. If 
your computer's infected with malicious software and a hacker was able to get malicious software on your computer, they could absolutely turn on your webcam. It's much harder to turn on your webcam and not have the light show. It's definitely possible, but uh, much more difficult. But the, the easy resolution is put a piece of tape over the webcam when you're not using it. Mm-hmm. So the biggest mistake people are making is their passwords are too easy to crack. Passwords, they use the same password. They use it uh, the same password at multiple sites or in multiple applications. They use very simple password reset question uh, reset questions. And one of the uh, ways that people can protect themselves against getting hacked is to enable at sites that allow it is a thing called two-step authentication. So your first step is putting in your username and password. The second step is putting in a code. Now that code could you know the website could either text it to you on a on your phone. Or you might have an application mm-hmm. on your phone where the code changes every 60 seconds. It's called Google Authenticator. Mm-hmm. Or uh, you might get a push message. Hey, is this you? Click yes, click no type of thing. And uh, when people enable two-factor authentication, it makes it exponentially more difficult for a hacker to get into the account, even if they have the username and password. So it's an absolute um, recommendation that people enable two-step authentication wherever they possibly can. And what that means is I'm going to put in my password, which is XYZ123, and then I'm going to hit enter, and then they're going to send me a code to put in. And I've gotten them recently, and they say your OTP, your one-time password, password, and then you put that in, and now it opens it up. Right. You're proving who you are to the computer by something you know, your password, right? And something you have, your mobile phone. So that's why they call it two-factor because you have what's in your mind and you have a device. So how you get that second factor, there's multiple uh, methods. Uh, You know, one is a text message. The other is you have an application where you could just bring it up or it gets pushed to your your phone. However, you'd you'd, you'd be surprised or maybe not that clever and sophisticated hackers could do a phishing attack against a victim that is even using two-factor authentication and have the ability to gain access to their account. Mm -hmm. And rather than getting into the details of how that technology works, because this is not a technical show, is talking about what the solve is. What do we need to know? What is the strongest form of two-step authentication we could use? And that's where we're using a hardware key one of the, mo- the the largest manufacturer I could think of is YubiKey. So basically, rather than getting the code that's text to your phone, you have to plug in the key into your computer, and that's the second factor. You just plug it into one of your... Yeah, one of your U- free USB slots or USB-C yeah. slots, and that proves who you are. Now, there's an inconvenience factor with that. Why? Because you have to carry something with you, yeah. a, a, a physical token. Some people don't want to bother. They don't want to be inconvenienced. So then they fall back to the older methods. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on whether the individual person wants more convenience or more security. So in my mind, where I want more security from a personal perspective is to protect my bank accounts, my credit cards, my brokerage accounts. Then I will use the key. But if it's to protect something like my um, access to the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, who cares? Yeah. Right? So then I would fall back to the 
to the least secure method. So these people that have the cameras in their homes and their Wi-Fi cameras, people are getting into those the way you're talking about where they find their passwords and then they just get into them that way by going to this weleakinformation.com. Well, what they do is they have to find individuals that have passwords that are exposed publicly. Right. And we leak info and there's many other sites out there. We leak info is the number one, I would say. But there's tons of these sites out there that uh, where you could buy access to this information mm -hmm. legally. And um, what happens is for you know when when people want to access for example Net, Google Nest, they have to use their Gmail account. So what the bad guys do is they look in these data breaches for people's Gmail accounts that have been used, for example, and then they'll try those on Nest to see if they actually work. Or they might have gotten some intelligence that this particular user happens to use uh, this particular type of cloud-based camera. And they'll go in and just log in because they have their password right in the data breach. And the reason people are vulnerable is because they choose bad passwords or they choose good passwords, but they don't know they were, they were publicized before and they don't know that they should have changed them. So it's really because of the, uh, a person like you or me, it's how we're managing our security is what the vulnerability is. And people have no idea if they're on weleakinfo.com. They could check. That's my email address. Oh, let's try it. So let's try oh, okay. it and see Let me, hold on if I'm there. There's another site that people can go to that's less verbose, meaning it doesn't give you much information. It's called haveibeenpwned.com. And now let me spell that. Okay. Have, H-A-V-E-I, been, B-E-E-N, pwned, P-W-N-E-D.com. And that site is set up there for the public to check if they've ever been, if they're if their email address has ever been in a data breach. Oh, okay. P-W-N-E-D. P-W-N-E-D.com. Okay. So let's check to see if you're in this data breach. Okay, one moment. Put in your email address. Is this your one? Is this your personal one or is yeah. this? Okay. Let's see what we have, mm -hmm. if anything. One site, uh, I have you in, you, you share this. It's a file sharing services. But fortunately, there's no password leaked. It just shows that you use that service. Right. So with that particular account, if that's your main account you use for all your personal yeah. stuff, you're good. So okay. um, that should give you some sort of relief that you're not in this aggregated database here. My IT guys tell me there's levels of security and that my emails are encrypted. And what does that mean? That probably means that uh, you're using a service a third-party service that uh, when you send and receive sensitive emails, it's encrypting it for you. Mm -hmm. So um, a bad actor can't get access to the plain text of your email. But it looks the same when I get it. I mean, Yeah, it's happening uh, in a transparent form, but you have to be using a third-party provider. Uh, you couldn't be just using Gmail or Hotmail right. or Yahoo, one of these free services, and it's probably going through like Zixmail is a common one, ZIX mail. And that's a service that people could subscribe to, usually businesses. Mm -hmm. And what that does is allows you to encrypt your email. Right. And you talked about these VPNs. You think that's a good thing for people to use? Yeah. How often do you use wireless networks? Uh, a lot. And so I've got this. 
that's great that you're using VPN. What does VPN stand for? It stands for Virtual Private Network. And when you should use a VPN is when you're using an insecure network. You're at you're at a hotel. You're at the airport. You're on the street. Um, you're at uh, your favorite coffee shop or restaurant, and you hook up to the Wi-Fi. The first thing you should do is connect to a VPN service. I could do certain things to uh, to look at some of your data, possibly trick you into mm-hmm. giving up your username and password. So it's really important to use a VPN service or another alternative is to go buy a hotspot at your local mobile store, whether that's T-Mobile, Verizon, AT&T, or whatever's out there. Right. And a portable hotspot, they probably cost 200 bucks and then you pay a monthly fee. So you're only using the cellular data. You're never using the public Wi-Fi. What's the downside of that? Cost. So if you're doing a lot of data, you're watching a lot of movies, it's better to use public Wi-Fi because it's essentially free. And if you use your data, it's going to cost you money. Um, so you have two choices. Use your own hotspot. And uh, if you ha- have a, a low data life, if, if you will, or if you're using a lot of data, consider VPN. And uh, $60 a year. One thing that people should consider when they're signing up for these services is to use a VPN provider that's trusted. Why? because you're trusting them with your network connection. So you wanna look at their reviews. Are they like over four star reviews? Do they have at least you know, 30,000 reviews? Uh, that way you're, you know, you're, you, you're using a provider that has a good reputation. Because yeah. you certainly don't wanna be using Ivan VPN in Russia. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't get any of my data because I haven't used it yet. But how would someone know if they're using a VPN that got hacked? They probably would never know they were hacked. They'd never know. And where the vulnerability lies is not using your home wife. Well, it could if you're at home and you don't, you don't have you don't have it set up with encryption with a password. Mm-hmm. Then that's the same as using an open wireless network at at a coffee shop. Yeah. So, pretty much when people are hacked, they don't know about it. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know, so what we have to do as consumers is kind of follow best security practices that are simple, not complex, but very simple for grandma to understand that's going to make it very unlikely you're going to become the next victim. Okay, now here's the big question. You mentioned Ivan Network in Russia. Supposedly, the election in 2016 was hacked. That's the word, yes. John Podesta was hacked through a phishing attack. Hillary Clinton's campaign manager fell for, he didn't fall for the phishing attack. Actually, the real story is he was suspicious of the email that said that his uh, Gmail account was accessed um, from an uh, IP address that wasn't recognized. He sent it to his IT guy saying, hey, this is weird. You know, should I reset my password? Is this a real email? The IT guy said, oh yeah, that's real. And then it was a phishing attack. He ended up putting his username and password in and then if, you know, eventually led to the Russians getting access to this guy's email and all his email ended up on WikiLeaks. Oh you know, my God. Um, so it was really falling for this attack. And this is, you know, John Podesta. So certainly the Russians were involved in, you know, campaigns of influence and campaigns of hacking to manipulate the election. And I have no doubt they'll do it again in 2020. What they did is they went on, they used social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and they've created psychop campaigns to, to 
basically campaigns that would, uh, the objective is to get people to vote for a particular candidate. And uh, this was very well orchestrated, allegedly out of St. Petersburg, Russia. Then you have um, John Podesta, who was hacked to discredit Hillary Clinton by exposing all her confidential emails to the public through WikiLeaks. So that's so, how that got out there. That's how that got out there. So I don't know of any elect voting machine or the count being hacked. I know that uh, that our threat actors out there that are nation state, meaning you know, Russia, of course, uh, was able to influence and manipulate the election. You say that'll happen again in... Sure, why not? Because I mean, it's a, it's a nation state. If they could do it, they'll they'll work on, you know, they don't have a plan already. Yeah. Absolutely. If they, uh, I have no doubt that every country has offensive and defensive uh, cyber commands. United States, we have cyber command run, you know, national by the National Security Agency. Um, every country has this and we're on, we have defense, we have offense, and every country is trying to hack each other to gain some sort of intelligence and some sort of advantage. So this will continue on. Uh, in you know, pretty much until you know, until the issue of computer security is resolved, which I don't see that in, in the foreseeable future. Is Siri listening? If you have it enabled, I turn mine off. <laughs> and you have to wonder every time you talk to an we call it an IoT device. What that means is Internet of Things. So everything is being connected, your refrigerator, your toaster, your clock, you know, all your personal items. And why? Because it gives you the benefit of having uh, information pulled from the Internet. You know, the weather, the time, uh, your, maybe your, on your email account, your notes of, or your calendar of what you have to do. So when you go to the refrigerator in the morning, you see your whole calendar there. So these devices are now connected to the Internet, so they become a potential target of a bad actor. Not too long ago, we were down at the tennis court and we were talking about something that we don't normally talk about. And I don't even remember what it was, but it was a kind of off-topic product or something. And within a couple of hours, by the time we finished playing, two people had ads popping up on their smartphones about that subject matter. Yeah, that's because... The hell? Yeah, (laughs) Well, you're being tracked when you use the internet and you're surfing around and you're looking at different products. But we weren't. Yeah. We were just talking. Oh, you were just talking about Siri it. Siri was listening, I think. Hmm. Is that I, possible? It's po- yeah, definitely possible. Do I think likely? I think something else was going on. What but else? I don't know without analyzing it and thinking about it further. Or somebody else in that group of people that you were discussing this with went on to their something? iPhone and started surfing around and looking that okay. you don't know about. Um Potentially, every time you're using these, you know, Amazon Echoes and you know these devices, and and it's listening for your voice to do turn off the light, turn on the light, you know, open the garage, whatever you're doing. You have to think about what else could the what else could these manufacturers, Amazon, Microsoft, Apple, whoever putting out these devices, what are they really listening to? I have a Tesla. So I'm very careful in my Tesla. I'm always worried about what to talk about yeah, because exactly. I don't know if Elon's team is listening to my <laughs> yeah. conversation, yeah. right? And it, it is absolutely possible, but you have to actually go and prove it. You'd actually have to go through a, an assessment process and try to identify what data is being sent up. It will be sent up encrypted. So you kind of have to measure how much data is being sent up. Could that be p- potentially part of the conversation? But there's definitely a risk. 
every time you're using a smart device, could somebody else be listening? Like the other day, I was searching out, that's my car there, that 57 Chevy. And nice. so I was buying some wheels to put on it. Yeah. Some mag wheels. And so I was searching mag wheels and looking at them. I found some I like. I bought them. But now, for like a month, I've been getting ads, ads for yeah. wheels. I was like, hey, I've already bought them. Leave me alone. I'm no longer in the market. So you know what the easy way to solve that is? is um, Whenever you open up your web browser, there's a thing called incognito mode. And I don't know, do you do you like Chrome? Do you like Internet Explorer? Do you like Firefox? Do you have a particular uh, browser? Safari. Safari. So Safari, you could go into private mode. Oh, okay. And when you're doing your shopping, stay in private mode. Oh, okay. And then it's more difficult for the uh, for them to aggregate the data or the market, you know, because you wouldn't believe how much data could be and how you could be profiled by simply shopping on the internet. Wow. Um, to take it to a, uh, a bigger extreme, there's, I, I, you've heard of the dark web. Right. Right? That's my next question. What is that and how does it work? Dark web is accessed through a web browser called Tor. And Tor, if you'd believe, is actually developed by our military. And the purpose of Tor was to create a way to anonymize who you are. And in this uh, world of the dark web, people could set up websites that only could be accessed through Tor. So you have to, so they've set a policy that if you're going to connect to my website, you have to go through the trouble of anonymizing who you are. So that could be for good, journalists, dissidents, trying to get out the story about right. you know, some country doing you know, something that's evil, right. right? Or it could be used bad by predators out there that are selling drugs, uh, child pornography, and doing terrible things. So it's used, you know, it's a tool that's used by good and evil, right? So anybody could download the Tor browser, and the whole idea of the Tor browser is to be able to surf the internet without revealing your identity, what your real IP address is. So if you're a shopper and you want to make sure that if you're on you know, Chevy.com or wherever you're going to buy or magwheels.com, wherever you're going, and you're concerned about the marketing issues, um, you could use Tor. But that's going, I think, beyond. I think maybe going into incognito mode. Personally, I just use ad blocker. So... I get you know emails, but none of this garbage goes onto my display because I just use an ad blocker app to block it all, and it makes it very simple. Is there a way for people to protect their phones from these robocalls? I installed a robocall app from the Apple App Store because I have an iPhone, and I, it doesn't work perfectly. I still get the calls. So unfortunately, until they better their technology, you have to add them to the block list. Yeah, and I and I'm I get them all the time. I had three calls today. Very annoying. Yeah, then they uh, change yeah. one digit and call right back. Yeah, I they mean, just they call. They what they do is they they spoof caller ID. What that means is they're it's very simple to do where it changes the number they appear to be calling from and is they just use a random number. Yeah, which violates the law, by the way. I, I really? believe they could be fined. Maybe even it's a criminal offense. But unfortunately, there's not an easy fix for that. You talked about phishing. Somebody sends something that calls for them to disclose information about themselves. Yes. And they do that. How are people using that to exploit most often? Are they getting into bank accounts or credit cards? They're obviously monetizing it. How are they monetizing it and how do people watch for it and how do they know? Well, what they're trying to do is in these days is get into 
business accounts. Because with business accounts, now you can send internal emails and do bigger types of fraud. Uh, so what they'll do is they might send you a phishing attack, uh, maybe use Office 365, which is a Microsoft product, and they send you a fish. And when you've opened up the fish, it, it brings up a login page for Office 365. And you think to continue, to continue what you're doing, to carry out what you're doing on the internet, you have to put in your username and password as normal. But what, what that really is is set up by the bad guys, so they're able to get your username and password. When you type that in and hit enter, everything works as normal. But what you didn't know is you were fooled into giving out your username and password to the bad actors out there. So that is so a typical. Now they're into your system. Now, if you're not using two-factor authentication, as we talked about earlier in the show, right. now they can simply just log in into that particular site, whether it be your email, whether it be your cloud provider, whether it be your financial institution, and that sort of thing. For everybody that's listening, how do they activate two-factor authentication? You do it on the website. So imagine you're using um, cbs.com. Just, you know, of course, there's, there's nowhere to log in that I know of, but let's pretend that was a site. Well, and you could set up your own user account at CBS then you would see if CBS has the um, functionality to enable two-factor authentication. Mm -hmm. A lot of sites out there don't. They don't even have that as a feature, so you're stuck with your username and password. But more and more coming online to allow consumers and business people, of course, to enable two-factor authentication to protect themselves. So the big sites out there, the Alphabet sites, you know, the Googles, the Amazons, the Microsofts already have this. Mm -hmm. But... If you're using a mom and pop website, for example, some shopping site somewhere in, you know, New Jersey, it might not have it on there. So it's not something that you go to settings and no. click on. It's no. per site. So yeah, you it's go not to something the... you set up on your client computer. Okay. It's something you have to set up on the website itself, and it has to have that functionality to allow you to enable it. And once you do that, then obviously you're safer. And then you talked about password manager. How do you get that? I'll tell you the one I use. I, you know, and I, I'm not part of the company, so I'm not promoting it. I, I just use a, a tool called LastPass, L-A-S-T, Pass. There's another one called OnePassword. Those are the two most common ones out there. And uh, you could sign up for, I believe, for a free, a free one. I, th I, I don't know if it has any limitations on it. I, I think I pay, who knows, maybe 10 bucks a month. I don't know what the fee is. I don't really pay attention. And I just install it on my computer and I configure it with my master password. And every time I go to, like, let's say I'm putting a, uh, let's say I go to a new site, uh, Nevada DMV, and I have to, I put in my username and password. It's not in my password manager. The password manager say, do you want me to save your password? It will pop up, a pop up. Do you want me to save your password? And uh, that way the password manager is kind of working in the background to collect all your passwords and put it into a database. And then, what the password manager allows you to do is configure it so when you do a password change or if you change your password, it's all random. So it it protects the user by creating passwords that don't make any sense, of course, and making sure that you never use the same password on more than one site. And it's very easy. It's almost like it's almost like an autopilot. So if somebody downloads LastPass, for example, and goes through um, the getting started mm -hmm. um, instructions. It's going to be quite easy 
uh, for someone that's 80 years old that doesn't use a computer to figure out. It's not that difficult. Yeah. You don't have to be a, a nerd. Okay, so I've got Hulu on my computer. Yes. Okay, but I also have it on my television at home. Yes. When I click on it at home, when I've changed it in here, will that also change it at home? Uh, what you have to do is on your home, let's say you changed it, the password has changed here. Uh -huh. You have to make, you have to log in with a new password on your home TV. So it'll be that long random password that is given me. Yep. You, you have put to put it in, in one once. Time. Yeah, one time. And then after that, it keeps rolling it over? It will roll it over depending on how you set it. Um, if you have a very long random password, you really only have to set it once. Okay. I don't think many people out there are going to worry about hacking a Hulu account. Yeah. They're five bucks a month. Yeah. Right? It's not an interesting target. What hackers want to break into is cloud accounts, you know, accessing cameras, accessing bank accounts, accessing your portfolio, accessing credit card accounts, something where there's some sort of monetization involved. So you want to know how the best way to protect your financial accounts? You might be surprised. Tell me. Is, um, I, how I do this, because I'm more paranoid than the rest of the folks out there, is I actually have an iPad Pro. And you could do this, that's expensive, that's like $800. You could use a Google Chromebook. It's basically using a second device. And with that second device, I just use it for my financial accounts. I don't use my main computer. So if my main computer gets hacked that I'm using every day and surfing the internet and I could get malware on there, who in the heck knows? Um, I know that this device I'm only using to access my financial accounts is pretty safe. And you're raising the bar so high that the chance that your financial accounts will be get hacked through your computer is very slim. Because you're not out there with the internet. Yeah, you're not, it's a separate, yeah. You're only using it for your financials, that's it. You have a, a separate password, you could use the same password manager, but it's a separate account. Uh, you know, maybe a, you have fill two. And um, that's what's managing that, that second device. Is it a hassle? Absolutely. Who wants to use a second device? I see you have, fortunately you, you do have the portable devices there. So it might not be so difficult for you, but there's an expense factor and a hassle factor yeah. because when you're using the same computer to do your financials and you're same for your email, same for surfing the internet or watching you know, Netflix or Amazon or whatever, you're increasing the risk that your computer could be infected with malware, malicious software. So what we're trying to do here is minimize the risk a bit by making it a separate device. So you think, number one, people should use two-factor authentication. Oh, absolutely. That they should have a... Password manager. A password manager, and that they should use these VPN. VPNs when they're on a... Wireless network. Wireless network. Or by a hotspot. Or by a hotspot. Yeah. And if they do those three things, they're a hell of a lot more protected than they oh, are. Oh, absolutely. And one other thing that people have to think about, if you're using older technology, like some people, when they buy a computer... They never bother upgrading the computer because it works. I'm, I'm using it to, my daughter is using it to draft her schoolwork. Like why, why am I gonna go spend 2000 bucks on a new computer? Well, what happens is people don't update the operating system. Mm -hmm. So they're running on older versions like Windows 7, yeah. right? Which is old and which has vulnerabilities out there that these bad guys know about. So it's important to make sure whatever device you're using you're using the latest release of the operating system that you could update for free. For example, I have an iPhone. Literally every week there's an update. It's a hassle. I have to oh, connect it to my computer. I have to go through this process. But you know what? 
there was this group out of Israel called NSO Group. It's a group that develops malicious cyber weapons for nation states. And they found a flaw in WhatsApp. I don't know if you use WhatsApp, Mm -mm. where you could silently call a WhatsApp user and it would install malware into their phone and they could look at your camera, they could look at your call logs, they could look at your text messages, they could do anything they want. Facebook, incidentally, is trying to sue them because they're pretty upset because it's their product. And, uh, And what happens is after this was discovered and kind of made public, what happens is companies like Apple patch these. They come out with a newer release of their operating system that may, they make available. So people that you know, think to them, why am I going through that hassle? Why do I want to install that update? That's because there's lots of threats out there that those updates fix. Um, so it's really- They're cut, plugging holes. Yeah, yeah. So what you're doing is you're plugging the holes. It's inconvenient. You have to connect it to your computer. It's a hassle. It's always at the wrong time. But you should consider setting a t- some time aside to do it. Okay, going forward, are there things that are cutting edge, coming hack trends hmm. that you can warn people about that are either fresh and new or are coming up? Well, kind of, you know, it's kind of the same old song and dance, unfortunately. Anything, I, I mean, when we're talking fresh and new, that normally goes into a more technical conversation of the types of exploits hackers can use. Don't forget, hackers normally don't go through the front door. Front doors, I mean, they have Phil's username and password. I mean, that's the amateur way, okay? Um, For example, when we're talking about cameras today, there are a number of cameras on the market that could be hacked. You don't have to know the password. You know, it's like a security vulnerability that somebody identifies and is able to take over that device without the username and password. So these things are changing on a daily basis. This is kind of the trend and where security people and research have to, uh, researchers have to keep their ear to the ground to kind of monitor what's going on to protect their clients. So what I do, for example, one of my, uh, I, I guess one of my, um, one of the things I actually do is since I'm very closely involved with people in Los Angeles with law firms here is celebrities actually approach my company and say, hey, we want to protect ourselves. We want to set up our devices. I get this all the time where we're working with celebrities to what to lock down their devices and protect their communications because they're concerned about being compromised. So what we actually do is we take their computer or we actually just have us buy a new one. It's it's cheaper and easier. Send us a new computer or we'll buy it for you. We'll configure it. The, the process is called hardening. Mm-hmm. This is where it really means just configuring all the security bells and whistles and then teaching the person that who's going to be using the computer on how to use those bells and whistles and giving them the computer back. And then they're able to operate with a good, good sense of confidence that they're much more secure than before because it takes somebody either educating themselves about how to configure their computers and how to use their computers or you need someone to actually train people on how to do it. So that's one of the things I do. There's been a lot of pictures hacked. Know how that was hacked? A stupid way. Um, Kids out of uh, Chicago uh, found a flaw in Apple's uh, site for Find My Phone, and they were able to try as many passwords as they want without locking the account out. Because normally, 
how people's accounts are protected is I could try Phil's password five or six times and it's going to lock me out. I'm not going to be able to try it, you know, right. infinity. Well, there was a flaw there and what it gave, uh, unfortunately, these bad guys is the ability to guess at celebrity passwords. And they actually, it wasn't a flaw in Apple. It was a flaw in how the celebrities chose their passwords. Same issue as earlier today, meaning people choosing bad passwords. And that's how they got to their photos in iCloud. Wow. And what Apple did, because it became so public, is what Apple did is they now force you. You don't have a choice. And I think this should be the norm across the board with other companies as well. They force every user to enable the two-step authentication. You have no choice. Yeah. Or if you turn it off, it's a hassle. They make you protect yourself. They make you protect yourself. And I think that's where the industry really needs to go, is where we have to depend on manufacturers, third-party websites, to look at providing security as a default, right? Not depend on the end consumer who doesn't have the time, energy, or interest in security. They just want to be secure. They want to be transparent. It just does it by default. So for the camera, the cloud camera today, that company should have required when you sign up for an account, you have to enable two-factor. Yeah. And know how many people that would have protected? Oh, my you know, God. Gazillions. Yeah. Just a simple change. But you know why they don't do it? The reason why it costs money because it's a little bit complex. So what happens is people are going to email their support. They're going to call their support. And then they have to hire people to handle that support. It costs money. So what these companies are looking at is for their bottom line. It's better for their bottom line to make it simple and insecure. It's more expensive not to. So we all know which way they're going to go, right? And it's easier. It's less intimidating for the consumer. Yeah, it's easier, plug and play, and that's it. Should people turn on location services? I do. And w what's nice about Apple's app is you actually could tell the iPhone what apps could use location services and at what time. So Uber app. I only allowed an Uber app to obtain my location if I'm using Uber. But if I have, if I'm not using Uber at the time, I don't allow it. So what's nice about iPhones, and I, that's why I kind of favor them, is, um, and Android's going in that way as well, is it prompts the user at every stage. So you don't actually have to think about it or no configuration. But, you know, I go and uh, do an app which requires my location. It pops up, do I want to share my location? Yeah. So that's the best way of doing it. That's why I kind of, I'm kind of lean towards iPhones. I personally like those because of that. So you say it's okay to leave that on, but just be selective about what apps can get to it. Exactly. Okay. Now, if you're a type of person, it all the persons, uh, depends on the person's risk tolerance. But if you're just the normal average guy on the street, I think it's safe to leave them on and, you know, with particular apps. Tell me this for our listeners so they know, and I think I could make a good case for it, but I want you to. Your most recent book is The Art of Invisibility. The world's most famous hacker teaches you how to be safe in the age of big brother and big data. Now, we've talked about some of these things I know today, but why should people get that book and read it? Well, I think it gives people a good sense of understanding where the, like how easy it is for criminals, for government agencies, for people maybe significant X others to get your information. Like, you know, how easy it is to violate your privacy 
is really what it, com- uh, it comes down to. What inspired me to write the book was when Edward Snowden came out in 2013 and revealed that the government was like monitoring everything we do. I was kind of, I suspected it, but then he kind of confirmed it. I go, oh my God, all my phone calls, all this, all that. Not that I had anything to particularly hide, but I want to protect my privacy. Yeah, it's just and a matter of principle. Matter of principle. So I wanted to write a book that could help the general person on the street understand what threats are out there in a very simple way. Like I, I have a, a story where I talk about uh, students at a particular high school in the Midwest and the high school secretly installed monitoring software where they were turning on student webcams and spying on the students at home. So this one student was called into the principal's office for popping pills, right? And, you know, the parents came to school like, what do you mean? Old Johnny's not popping pills. What are you talking about? Well, he's popping pills at home. How do you know this? Well, we're watching him on his webcam. What? What do you mean you're watching him on his webcam? What Johnny was doing at home was eating Jolly Ranchers. It's a candy. He wasn't popping pills. So, the you know, what ended up at the end of the day is the school got in a bunch of hot water because here a school that you trust is monitoring their students in their bedrooms, Good right? God. So what I try to do in this book is educate people about these stories and about what to watch out for. And I give people the tools and what they need to do to protect themselves and their privacy. For example... When you send a text message, Phil, I mean, are you just, you normally just send an iMessage or a text message on your phone. That's what everyone normally does. So technically, those communications could be obtained by a lawyer. Let's say, you know, not you, let's say someone's going through a divorce and the other lawyer on the other side says, oh, let's subpoena Joe's text messages for court, right? Well, those could be subpoenaed because Apple has the key to those messages. So one of the things we might recommend that we do recommend in the book is using an app that anyone could download for free called Signal, S-I-G-N-A-L. And what this app allows you to do for absolutely free is have secure text messages that nobody can gain access to, not even the National Security Agency unless they compromise your phone itself, or and to have uh, secure com- communications. So why is this practical? Let's say I'm on the board of a company and we're discussing a transaction and I need it to be private because, you know, this is, you know, we're dealing with, you know, hundreds of million dollars of investment and we need to secure those communications. I'm going to use Signal. So one of the recommendations we like have in the book is we explain to the reader what Signal is and how it benefits them. And of course, we try to only discuss free tools that people can use. But if you have Signal and you're texting someone that's on Apple... You just tell them install Signal. That's what I do. Yeah, you just yeah. tell them you're going to have to install Signal so yeah, we can be... it takes two minutes. The parts of this that I've read that I found really interesting, I want to say to people, this is not a tech book that you have to have really deep background in computer technology. This book is written for people to understand with stories that you can really relate to and how they would pop up in your life, circumstances and situations in your life. So I don't think you want to read this book. I think you want to study this book and I think you want to keep it around because these things are going to pop up and you're going to want to go, wait a minute, let me go get the art of invisibility. You're going to want to get in there and see what it says because things will be relevant to you at different times. So this is not the kind of book you want to read and say that was very helpful. This is the kind of book that wants to be a manual. 
Yes. People want to keep this around. If you want an entertaining book, uh, my memoir called Ghost in the Wires, it was, we published it yeah. you know, through uh, Little Brown in 2011. It's a New York Times bestseller. And uh, we just had, a, I, I, I can't mention who at this time, but we just had a, a very uh, well-known person buy uh, the rights to the movie. Oh, so they really? were going to be working on the movie uh, for the book. Hopefully that will be out sometime soon. And you know how it goes in show business, you know, you know, you, they have to go through a lot of green lights to get there. So fingers crossed, we'll see what happens. Yeah. But uh, it's two different books. If you want a, a great story, a human interest story, maybe Ghost in the Wires, if you want to learn how to better protect your privacy and what tools are out there without thinking you're going to be reading a book from Microsoft uh, that's too highly technical, you might want to consider Art of Invisibility. Yeah. Well, you've really helped everybody today. And... I want to thank you for your time and doing this, and I hope you'll come back and talk to us again when we're dealing with some of this stuff, because you really help some people. Yeah, that's my goal. 